Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. All right, welcome to episode 21 of the podcast. Uh, I think we need to get like a little like work whistle, like right there. Like, <laughs> time to get to work. Our, um, our podcast is of legal drinking age now, so uh, cheers to that, boys. <laughs> Look at yeah. that. That's a milestone. It's a sad day in Seattle, a very sad day. Yesterday was devastating for all of us, especially Luke in the house. We saw our beloved Jared Kelnick. The Bulldog, Marco Gonzalez, and Evan White get shipped off to the Atlanta Braves. And it is also surprising to see that apparently the Braves don't even want Marco. They're just going to drop him. That wasn't surprising. So uh, how about a little reunion back in Seattle? The Mariners pick him up once again after a trade. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I don't but, think so. Uh, yeah, I... I want, I'm really interested to see what your guys' take on this, especially Nigel's, because I know Luke is already a Jared Kelnick hater. I don't think we ever really expected much out of Evan White in the last couple of years just because of injury, and Marco was Marco. But, Nigel, why don't you give me your take immediately, what you thought about, like, do you think it was worth getting rid of Jared Kelnick at this point with still the potential that there is in a Jared Kelnick for a number seven prospect that we don't really know nothing about. No, not at all. I think it's uh, also real quick here. Uh, just Marco, you mean the heart and soul of this team, the, uh, the blood or the heart that pumps the blood through the body of the Mariners. Can't believe it. Um, but Kelnick, I, I think it's a horrible uh, move. You're, you're uh, dumping a, you're dumping a guy who's at least has some proven major league talent for a guy who is the seventh overall prospect, second round pick for the Braves, who just had Tommy John surgery. Kind of sounds like Marco, honestly. Maybe we're getting the next Marco Gonzalez uh, when we traded for him for him back in the day. But I just uh, it's the whole thing's a salary dump, and so it's the Mariner. I just have. I just have no faith that the Mariners are actually going to do anything with it. And so you have a, right now you have one outfielder and two, what two, one and a half infielders um, on your roster at this point, if you want to count Ty France as an infielder. Um, so I just, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. I really hope there's moves to come, but um I just think Kelnick had – he showed what he could be at the beginning of the season when he hit, t- what, eight, nine, ten bombs in the first month. And then, obviously, things went a little south from there. But that's where that's the uh, where the talent can be um, and trade that off for, for nothing. He's still in arbitration, so I think he was only due $750,000 next year. So really not a big – you know, a big – cost for you but i'm guessing as part of the salary dump for the other guys you had to make it enticing yeah so i i get i get that but i just i 
I'm not thrilled. I'm not thrilled with it. We all know I'm a Kelnick apologist, so. As as number one Kelnick hater, I would still tend to agree is that I don't I don't really know what the direction is unless, you know, freeing up this salary is really going to fill out your outfield. Because like you said, outside of uh, uh, Dom Canzone and then obviously Julio, like who do we, what bodies do we even have to put in the outfield? Demo. So what bodies do you have to put in the outfield that actually have any like breath of life to them right now? So obviously you need to go acquire people, but I'll just rope in what I said before with Kelnick, I think at the beginning of last year, is that it's kind of the treatment, honestly, in my opinion, that he deserves at this point. Because I said at the beginning of last year is that I hope that he would have a good enough start to the season that he could be a major trade piece at the deadline to make the team better last year. And what did he do? He fucking kicked a cooler and he got himself hurt so we couldn't right before the trade deadline, so we couldn't even trade him at all. He was no longer an asset to trade at the trade deadline. You weren't able to move him. And now, I mean, they've Kelnick and the Mariners have had an up and down relationship. I remember last year too, when he got demoted, right. That he like deleted all mention of the Mariners off all of his social media stuff. Is it like they were never the Mariners and Jared Kelnick were never really vibing together. And then he really screwed the Mariners last year, which, you know, maybe he, didn't feel so bad about it because he didn't want to get traded, but he kind of, as a Mariners fan, I feel like he screwed the Mariners because not only did he come out of the lineup when he needed another guy with a bat to play outfield, but he also needed a trade piece and he fucked the Mariners over. And at the end of the day, it's like, see ya. Like now you're, now you're the shiny object on a salary dump. And honestly, that might be the highlight of his career. I don't, it, the guy sucks. I don't think Maybe if he actually gets to play for the Braves, he'll find himself in a scenario where he's a platoon guy and he just has insurance all around him and he's super protected in the lineup and he goes out and has a nice, nice year, but good ends. That guy sucked. <laughs> Something that he could have had if the Mariners would just spend money on this team. Where you but could, I said that where before, you could protect him. And I said that before too. With, in the seventh spot of the lineup and let him actually but, grow instead of being like, hey kid, you're 22 and we're going to need you to come up and be the best player on the team. Good luck. And, and well, he, to build off what I was just saying, though, is that, like, Kelnick and the Mariners never had a good relationship. I said this before, is that, like, some guys just need a change of scenery. He clearly did not like it here. There's This is all speculation. There's no facts to it. But it's like, I don't think he responded well to Julio taking his shine basically immediately. Like, the guy just has a pissy attitude that – uh, I'm sure Tanner will get to uh, Gino Suarez getting getting shipped out too, but it's like part of what the Mariners have really rode on, at least in their playoff year and even this past year, even though they didn't make it, that it's like good vibes, J.P. Crawford, Gino, Julio, all like smiley, happy guys that like have good energy. And Kelnick just has a piss poor attitude all the time, just a like, I don't know, fucking roids baby type attitude that just like – gets all whiny and pissy when he, when things aren't going his way. So I don't like, so I don't know that he was ever going, no amount of protection in this lineup was going to make him happy to be a Mariner. I don't think, and was going to get the best results out of him. Maybe he'll have better success somewhere else. Just like I said, with, uh, what's his nuts? Um, Taylor, Chris, Chris Taylor. Taylor, Chris, Chris Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. And he didn't have a, not that he had a pissy attitude, but just like he, 
only really he only had spurts of of good play for the Mariners and you saw potential and you shipped him out and now he's been a the exact type of player that the Mariners could use on their team right now but I don't think he ever would have been that player on the Mariners it took him going to the Dodgers to become that guy and maybe Kelnick will have that same experience but I don't think there was any amount of bats you could have put around Kelnick that would make his mind right to be a good Mariner it just sucks you got so little in return for him yeah I I don't know it's tough for me because I think that Kelnick is going to have a change of scenery and I think there is a great opportunity for him to have a Chris Taylor moment where he goes to the Braves and suddenly the change of scenery turns into maybe just below a 300 average and 30 home runs. I mean, he's capable. He has the potential or talent to do that. Unfortunately, he couldn't do that with the Mariners. The hardest part I see with this trade is that it's still a 24 year old kid that I don't know how many more years left you have with him as far as like club control or anything like that. But it seems like you've already wrote it out this long and you're not getting that much in return. Maybe a couple of years ago, you couldn't, have, you could have gotten a lot more for him. But at this point, like why not just write it out? Especially when you're in a dire situation, like truly who is your left fielder right now? Who's your right fielder right now? Like we don't really have anyone solidified in those spots. Yeah. And you say Dom Canzone, but Dom Canzone has had about as good, as much good baseball that he's played as Keldick has. Oh, completely agree. Keldick so would like, still be our second best outfielder. Yeah, exactly. So which isn't like, saying much. But Dom Canzone had a great finish to the season. And I, I, when he, when Keldick came back, everyone's like, why are we even bringing him back? Dom Canzone had a good month, but he kind of tailed off at the end and was kind of, kind of non-existent in the last couple weeks of the season when we needed anybody to step up. So I, I think it's uh, hard to, hard to say that we have more than one starting outfielder right now. Yeah. Outside if, of Julio. And if you could, if you could see the future and see that, okay, they actually are opening up money to get a Juan Soto to put him in right field. And then you just have a platoon at this point in left field. All right. I could see it being a good thing. But this is these are some of the quotes that I just read today from Scott Service that kind of has me a little shaky about, like, I don't know if, though, if they really have a direction right now. I think this is just more of a payroll thing from ownership that they're just trying to cut things down. And one of the quotes that he said was, we want to do the best with the cards we've been dealt. I guess it is the best way to say it. I did so, see that one. It's not a great thing to see. And then the other one I saw, too, was, I don't do the books. I coach the team, but we need to get better. Our lineup is not complete right now and one able to compete with the teams in our division today. I say all that, and we really have a good team, but it's early December. It's not early April. I just think that there's not a lot of – I mean, they're not going to they're not gonna give you their entire strategy out there to the media, but I don't know if there's necessarily a game plan put into play, and I don't know if it's realistic if you're going to see a big – trade coming here during winter meetings or in the next couple months i'll counter that slightly in the sense that you say that like there's not a plan is that depoto for all of his faults he always has a plan whether or not it's a good plan is completely up for debate but like he makes tons of trades all the time and he's moving stuff around so i don't think they're doing this where he's just like, well, let's just salary dump and we'll see what happens. Like, I'm sure he has things in mind that it's like, if I can do, you know, if I can do this, then I can do this. Or if I, if I can do this, then this, then this. So he has a plan, whether or not it is a, it's a good plan. 
will remain to be seen. Or if the guys that you want to try to acquire, assuming they're free agents, even want to come to your club, like that can be out of your control. Obviously, if you're trying to trade, that's a different story. I do think that there's something to be said that trading Kelnick for the number seven pitching prospect in the Braves, I would like to think means you're doing that because you might be more willing to get rid of a Brian Wu or uh, I'm completely blank, Bryce Miller. Like we want to get another pitching prospect in the pipeline because we plan on moving one of them. Right. So you're, <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're so you're, you're just, you're to... kind of, you're kind of restacking your deck here because you know, you're about to deal out some pitchers. I might be it, looking just, through rose tinted just as, glasses. It's just as hard. It's hard to imagine based off the history of the Mariners in recent years that that's what they're going to do. Now we might be sitting completely here, agree. We might be sitting here in a couple weeks and all of a sudden we've like loaded the cabinets and I'm like, hell I've eaten crow. You know, like they, they've, uh, they've it'd be a first and, for the Mariners. Yeah, though. exactly. They've gone and, and, uh, and stocked it up and, and got all the guys that you'd hope, you know, all the big names you'd ever hope for. I just find it hard to believe. And Here's here. Did you see the graphic thing today of like that out of the starters or out of the starting day lineup um, from this year? There was like five five of the nine starters are no longer on the team. Yeah. Either DFA'd or traded now. Yeah. So it's like I don't know. It for one, it just goes to show that they came in with a dog shit plan last year, and two, I it just gives me a little faith that they're gonna do the right thing continuing continuing forward one one last note on kelnick because it seems really fitting that he was included in this trade from what it seems like to entice the salary dump is that this predates our podcast long before but i remember nigel and i talking about this when we originally traded robinson cano the the first reported trade was that we were going to get Jeff McNeil, yeah, who's really good, but we would have to eat a lot of Robinson Cano's salary. They would have given us McNeil as more of a, like, you still pay Robbie Cano, but we'll trade you for them. And we said, all right, we'll take Kelnick instead if you'll eat almost all of We still are paying Cano, I think, a couple million a year off of that. But they ate the majority of the contract, and we took Kelnick in place of Jeff McNeil so that they would eat the salary. And here we are, what, four or five years later, where now we are getting rid of Kelnick so that they will again eat more salary off of other players, and you've basically seen no production come from that trade at all. Yeah. And that is that is where I would 100% agree that it's like, has DePoto and the Mariners shown enough to say that they're going to do something with that? You got you salary dumped Cano and you got a lesser prospect in Kelnick than Jeff McNeil. If we had Jeff McNeil right now, you'd be feeling really good about our middle infield with JP Crawford and Jeff McNeil there. Yeah. And right now you're feeling like you have JP Crawford in the middle infield. Do we still have Rojas? I don't think so. Because I feel like when I was looking, he's not on there. I thought he had club control though. Yeah. He, he was pretty good. I mean, he walked on- off the last game of the season, right? Yeah, on the note of club control, because you mentioned this earlier, Tanner, I'm seeing that that uh, Kelnick had five more years of club control. So it's like you you just send. I mean, it's just a salary dump, and we've said this 
a thousand times on here and I'll say it again. It's like, I don't give a shit about how much money these owners spend because they're freaking billionaires. Like, yeah, Mariners and make it, tons but, of money. And, and like, how the much salary it? dump that you're, you're making is what Evan White, who we signed, for, who we signed for like a five year, 20 something million somewhere in there a couple years ago, at, which was a good deal at the time and probably still, you know, he's been hurt, but like, that's not killing you. And then Marco, who's on, probably a $12 million a year deal for another year or two, maybe. So you're, you're not like, yeah, what was you're not Kelvin, moving mountains. How you're saving like 20, making? it's like a $20 million salary dump in yeah, total. Yeah. $20 million salary dump. Kelvin's like Kelvin 750,000, yeah. 760 is his salary for next year. So it's like, you're not really dumping anything, especially for Kelvin. Like those other two guys, like I can understand. But he, they, they wouldn't take end, that money. He might end up being more if he has the type of season that you want like as he gets into these arbitration years because i think this is his last year before he goes into yeah his last year of pre-arbitration yeah, exactly so he'll he'll start making more money than that but not i mean the way he's played it'd be a couple million a yeah, year Yeah, exactly like, it'd, be, it'd be pennies on the dollar he's still he's still a plus defender he's you know just he's a step behind julio defensively but you know not still as good as just about anybody. Yeah, that, still as good at, at, at just about anybody. Like he's still quick and speedy on the base pass. Like even if you had him in the nine hole on this team, like all the time, yeah, he's still like he would be an asset to have even if he's hitting two hundred and in the nine hole. Because who else are you going to stick in there? You're going to stick Haggerty or Demo or some some other bum that's going to hit two hundred and and play good defense. So you might as well have a guy that has a has high end potential on there. So I just, I, I couldn't be uh, more upset with that trade. I think it's silly and we haven't even really talked much, but Marco just, uh, I, I hate to see Marco go. I know he doesn't have a place on this team anymore. Although I think you could find You could have found a spot for him in your relief core. And I think he would have, he would have, would have embraced that. You know, he wants. He's a winner. He, he, I think he's a mariner. I think he wants to. I think he'd find. He's a, way a winner. To, what does he want? He's a okay. <laughs> he, he's a he's a bulldog mentality type of guy. Okay? Gotcha. And uh, so I think he would. You could have found a place for him, but at twelve million a year, probably too much. You you could probably DFA him and then pick him up and get yeah, him for cheaper. I think the oddest thing about all of this is that if you're dumping salary in order to get bigger players, especially if you want to sign some free agents or make some splash trades. I get it. But this seems like the type of move you would have done, what, two years ago when we had Chris Bryant and Trevor Story and some of those other guys? Like, there was a lot bigger name free agents at that time. Like, who is there really out there besides Shohei Otani right now that you really want to make a big splash for as far as free agents? Yeah. Cody Bellinger. Bellinger, yeah. It's just yeah. like the market's not that great this year, and it makes me convinced even more that there's really no plan in play rather than just throw some, I don't know, throw some bums out there, and hopefully you can make merchandise money off of Julio. Yeah, I mean, you have you It have seems Matt like a move Chapman. by ownership most li- like To me, it seems like ownership is saying, like, hey, we just want to dump some salary and make some profit back on, like, dump some of that and make some profit off of our one-star player we have. Because people will still show up. And the Mariners have been good at, at that historically. It's been their go-to move. So I, 
I'm just I'm not entirely convinced. And like Nigel said, maybe we eat crow here in the next couple weeks or month or even a couple months, and I would love to see that happen. But I don't see what plan is really in play that's realistically going to happen. Because even if you go out and get Soto, do the Mariners want to – like, is that a Jerry DePoto move to go out there and dump a bunch of talented pitchers and whatever prospects that we'd give up to get a Juan Soto for one year of control and you're not even guaranteeing that you're going to sign him? Is that a Jerry DePoto move? Maybe if they're confident they can sign him, but realistically, like we don't know if that's going to happen. He's going to yeah. want to yeah. test the market. Yeah, and that's why the salary dump makes little sense because there's no free agents. Because if you trade for somebody that doesn't really affect your salary dump other than your bottom line, that you're saving some money here and spending more somewhere else. Like the contract's the contract. Yeah, you and, know, and, outside and, of Otani, if, if you're making trades, why is it now instead of years past? Like, yeah, you've you've had the prospects, and now that like, I I just don't understand what the uh, what the rationale is. So yeah, because it's it's not a bit like the best the best prospects like fielding wise are Matt Chapman, who they have as this list has as the number ten overall, and then. Um, um, Belly, who was like five or six on this list. I think JD Martinez too is not. Yeah, but JD Martinez is thirty six years old and he's a DH. He's and he's nothing gonna, else. And he's going to sign for a team that is ready made to yeah. win the World Series. Yeah, Soler, who's DH outfielder, he probably as good at outfield as Teoscar. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just there's which makes Guriel. Guriel is one. That's there's a, there's. It doesn't make a lot of sense add in that they got rid of Gino Suarez because there's not really – I mean, Nigel and I were talking about this the other day is that even if you go get Matt Chapman, like, he's probably slightly better than Gino Suarez. But, like, not so much that you're going to end up spending, like, probably double on Matt Chapman. So, yeah. I don't – you salary dump to get a player who's marginally better than the guy you've already got and pay him double. I, the guy who the math had, doesn't really The guy who already up. had a 90 – like, you dump the guy who had a 98 fielding percentage, 99 fielding percentage last year to get another guy who's going to have the same and hit 20 points better maybe. Yeah. And for all the and love you give – Probably the same – probably less homers, probably less – And power. all the love you give Marco is that Gino Suarez actually really does feel like the guy that is the heart and soul of that locker room. Yeah. Well, it seems like the Mariners like to get rid of those guys each year. Yeah. It seems to be the go-to move. I mean, even going back to the uh, – uh, what's his nuts? Um, who was our closer last year? Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Are you talking about uh, – Seawald. Yeah, Seawald. Oh, Seawald. Yeah. I mean, the trade ended up being okay. The guys that we got – all right in production, but again, that was another heart and soul guy. The year before that, we had another dude. Yeah, Graveman. Kendall Graveman. There you go. Yeah. So it's like, it just seems like year after year, it's like, just cut the snake off right at the head is what they're doing right now. They're just getting rid of any kind of leadership they have. I mean, next thing you know, they're going to be getting rid of J.P. Crawford and Big Dumper just because. Yeah. Well, and especially since Dumper had some uh, had some words about management at the end of last season. Uh, I'd be curious to see what uh, what happens there as he gets closer to free age or closer to arbitration. It's disappointing. I mean, yeah. again, maybe it turns out to be something good. So I guess I got to ask the question here. I already know the answer, but I will ask it since Shohei Otani's planning on signing maybe this week. Any chance that this is somehow a move for him? Any chance? I don't. I don't know that these moves 
necessarily mean that you'd get Otani because I don't know that a twenty million dollar salary dump is the make or break on that contract. Okay. Yeah. Like you have to be already ready to pony up five hundred million. I don't think twenty million is what's going to move the needle or even I, I did hear forty Depoto said that they've moved fifty million in salary already this off season and that they plan on plan on spending more next year in salary. Even though, and so they plan on re, you know, reallocating that. I guess a better way of asking the question: Are they still in the race for Otani at this point? I think so. Yeah, I think they're very much in the race for Otani. Why? <laughs> because I, I would, I think they're in the race for Otani, just because for one, because of the young core that we have here. Like we, you have, you have Julio, who's one of the top players in baseball. You've got JP, you've got Dumper, you've got a pitching staff that he knows he's isn't going to have to be relied on, I think, which is going to be helpful. I, I think it would be a selling point. You know, you already got five, six, seven starters in the in the lineup ready to go. So I would think those few things, plus West Coast team, he was already 50-50 on coming here originally when he came to the States. Um He's expressed some some uh, liking to Seattle, you know. Says he's coming up here in his in his off season. So I think there's a chance. I mean, yeah. I mean, all the same reasons we thought it well before any of this that you got. It sounds cheesy, but like you got Ichiro. He's making the pitch. Yeah. yeah. You had the All Star game. Like, seemed like he likes the area. We were definitely in the top two this first time around. At the end of the day, it comes down to money, though. And the Mariners, I genuinely believe that if the Mariners put up the money and all is equal, you're 1A or 1B. Yeah. All right. Two more questions regarding the Mariners. I got to ask. Blake yeah, let's Snell. make it. Let's make them. Let's make them snappy. I'm getting bummed out. Okay. <laughs> let's 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 perk it up a little. Actually, I'm gonna. I'll end my this. I'll end that question on the last one. So I'll ask this. Just project. Like just your predictions today. Who do you see filling third base, second base, left field, right field, and DH? God, I don't. I have no freaking clue. Um, hopefully, you, hopefully you get either Soto or Rosarina. You'll probably get neither, neither. of them. Um, yeah. Maybe you can get a a Matt Chapman or Urias plays third base, and there's somebody. You're just going to get another Colton Wong type like guy who's played second base middle infield for a while that has had some 270 seasons, but a lot of 230 seasons. And you find somebody like that to fill fill in DH Demo. (laughs) I love it. I I think that uh, in order for me to be happy, you need two major signings. So, whether that's whether that's uh, Soto or, or two major trades, like you need two major pieces on this team because you always have. Like that's been what we've been talking about forever. It's like you kept all the major pieces now in there. Last year we said we needed two more major pieces, so I'm still gonna stick with that. That we need two more major pieces: one outfielder, one infielder. I don't care, or two outfielders, no infielders, and you just have a bunch of bums that play defense and and that's it like you put demo at third base maybe you get maybe if you do get otani i mean there's a dh that 
Yeah, you, know, you can yeah, afford and to, be, to trot some yeah. some more below league average guys out there at some corner outfield spots or whatever. Yeah, or, you mean, or if you have Otani, then you can get away with Dom Canzone being one of the one of your everyday outfielders and a swaggerty or something. Because... I love a Rosarena and Otani and Blake yeah. Snell. That was my last question. It seems like the hometown kid wants to come back to Seattle. He, I mean, he's making it very publicly clear that he wants to come to Seattle. That being Blake Snell, do you guys think the Mariners get it done? Do I think they will get it done? Uh, 30% chance yes, 70% chance no. Man, I thought do this I, was going to be my positive. Do I, want, do I want it to – do I want them to get it done? 100%. And like I was saying before, is that maybe that's why you – do the salary dump and you get another pitchers. Cause then it's like, we'll sign Blake Snell and then we'll really offload some top end prospects at pitching like Bryce Miller or Wu or Emerson Hancock's not as shiny now cause he got hurt again, but we'll offload those guys to go get another bat. Yeah. Because we got our top, our top five is, is there. Solid so we don't need yeah. all of these prospects. Yeah. We got another guy who, like Nigel said, is coming off Tommy John surgery. He's kind of a Brian Wu type because Wu was a pretty big prospect in college and then got Tommy John's like basically his last year in college and the Mariners scooped him up in the third or fourth round when a lot of people thought he was going to be a, a top pick. And he, now he's fully recovered and he looks pretty good. But, you know, you get some yeah. depth in there and now you feel okay about shipping out some of your prospects because – you're solid at the top end with a guy like Snell. You just need another bat, and so you got to give up something good. Real quick, can you imagine this this pitching rotation? If you had Castillo, Snell, one A, one B. I don't know. I don't. You probably put Snell at the top since he's the reigning. I'd put young. Kirby. Yeah, I was gonna ask yeah. right there. Who's your Who's yeah. your opening day pitcher if you sign Snell? Probably, it's Snell. probably Snell. He's a Cy Young. Snell, Castillo, Kirby, and then Robbie Ray as your four. And then, and then insert whatever guys left in that yeah. mix of Logan, assuming Bryce, assuming Logan Gilbert, Wu, Miller, Bulldog. Wu. Yeah, the Bulldog when you resign him, please. Uh, but honestly, is that you still? This is still Major League Baseball. You need to have bats, but your need for as many bats probably drops even more dramatically than it. I mean, the Mariners still won eighty-eight games last year, while not being a good enough hitting team. Yeah. So you get even better at pitching. You throw in a guy like Otani, a couple other guys that are okay bats. It, it almost seems more believable that the Mariners would do something like but, that. We'll just I mean, we'll I'll, triple down on pitching before we ever go actually get a bat. And on it, like I said, two big moves. I would include signing Snell as one of those big moves. Like it's just not two big moves in the field, but I think that it, it still adds to the team enough that. Your pitching staff would be unprecedented. There never, there's never been a pitching staff like that in Major League Baseball. The nightmare scenario with all of this, though, is just that trading trading for Soto or a Rosarina, like if if they accept the trade, then you get the player. There's no there's no way that they can say no. But if you don't sign Snell and you don't get Otani, and then you're not able to bring together a trade, like the Mariners look like they're going to be a 70 win ball club. Yeah. There, there's the, very little middle ground there. It seems it like that they either in the, yeah. the, the toughest division in baseball still. The right, pitch, now. Yeah. the pitching staff is still going to be good regardless. Pitching staff is a one already, 
and you're only going to get better because you're going to get healthier from last year. So that you still have on lock, but you just got to, you got to make something happen here. And I, I just don't, I don't see the path right now and maybe I will. Maybe I'll, like I said, maybe I'll, we might know in the next couple days, maybe in a few days we'll know a lot more, but right now it's just hard to see that, that path forward. And it's, it's pretty disappointing. So, well, uh, speaking of disappointing, let's talk about another disappointing Seattle based organization. And that's Alaska airlines. And you guys trying to book your flights uh, to and fr- or uh, back and forth from uh, New Orleans to go see the Sugar Bowl. Nigel, walk me through what's going on with that whole disaster. <laughs> let's, let's go, dogs. Um, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say on that other than I was uh, – we'll get into our Husky recap here, but I was really banking and hoping the Huskies were going to make it to the Rose Bowl. So made my uh, – made, made some – uh, flight purchases last week to LA kind of thinking that that was going to be the case. And while I was doing that, I took a look at flights going to new Orleans as well. Cause I was kind of thinking of just double booking it and being ready to go. And I could already see last week before any of this was even set that new Orleans was going to be a problem if we had to go there. And uh, lo and behold, here we are going to new Orleans and um, it's Nolans. a problem. Not yet. Yeah, Nolans, Nola. And uh, it's a problem for a lot of Husky fans right now. And I know everyone's been tweeting out at Alaska Airlines and all the airlines to, to add some flights and uh, make this situation better. But as it stands right now, um, I think there's a couple flights now. And as we're recording this, I think they've added a few more. But they've, they're, of course, uh, price gouging the shit out of Husky fans and charging. Yeah, what would you say the prices were right now? It was, it was like $1,100 $1, for $1,100 each way on a flight that's usually probably two to $300 each way. So you're looking at 4X, <laughs> the normal price each way. So, yeah, it's pretty uh pretty unfortunate situation for uh, for Husky fans. I'm sure the dogs travel well, so they're going to be okay. I'm sure that people are going to find their way out there, but it's still uh, an unfortunate circumstance for sure. So going into that with just the committee itself with the college football playoffs, we got uh, Michigan at one, Washington at two. We got Texas at three and Alabama at four after they knocked off Georgia. Do you agree with the committee's decision? No, not really. Honestly, is that I under, I mean, we could do an entire podcast on how they got to the final four and it would be just as long as any of our other episodes, but I don't really, I I understand, I guess, why you don't put Florida State in because you just think that they're not, it's the, it's kind of the eye test thing, which is just like, it kind of pisses me off a bunch, especially given that, you know, everyone had Oregon beating the Huskies by double digits on the eye test. And the Huskies went out there and took care of business again. And so I can have some sympathy for Florida State right now that it's like, oh, you guys just aren't that good. That it's like, well, you're not even giving us the chance. I mean, I guess they get their chance now that they'll get to play Georgia. If they go and they beat Georgia, I'm sure they'd be really pissed. Yeah. You know, they'll probably do a UCF thing and and try to proclaim themselves themselves national champions because they beat Georgia, the two-time defending champ. That was honestly, I'd said that before, is that I thought I thought you would, conventional wisdom is you just still put Florida State in there, uh, hopefully at three, so the Huskies could play them. <laughs> and then you have 
three one-loss teams in Texas, Alabama, and Georgia. And I said this before, and this might not be a popular opinion, I would have put Georgia in there. They're back-to-back defending champions who had won 29 games in a row, and they lose in their conference championship to Alabama. And I get that. By three points. Yeah, and I get that Bama won the SEC championship, and their one loss is to Texas. So, ergo, Texas beat Bama, Bama beat Georgia, Texas moves up into that spot. But it's one loss teams, like it's not like you guys all play the same schedule. It's not like the NFL where, you know, there's a lot there's more, more parity parody that it's like at the end of the day, Georgia won. Now the Huskies have the longest winning streak in all of college football at 20, 20 games. Say like Georgia's back-to-back champs. And they won 29 games in a row. And so I really don't understand it too, to even go further down that is that they're kind of, they kind of do the eye test or Vegas test. That it's like, well, Florida State would be double-digit dogs to any of these other teams, and like we want to put the best product on the field because it is true. At the end of the day, like the college football playoff, it's a TV show. Yeah, it's not. It's not. A, it's not really a like merit-based com- like competition. It's a TV show to make money, right? And so you don't want to put a product out there that's going to lose you money, and that's what Florida State would have done for you. So you're gonna go, you're gonna go by that and say that was well, like, well, Georgia would probably still be the favorite over all four of the teams that are in the playoff right now. So why wouldn't you put Georgia? So like, you're gonna say that, but then you're actually not going to do it. Yeah. Is it is it merit based, and that's why Georgia can't be in over Bama because Bama beat them, or is it eye test and Vegas test? Because like they, in my opinion, they just kind of were picking and choosing where they wanted to like weight these things based it's off of well, it's because the they needed to find a way to get an sec team in for one yeah and I, like i said i still would have said that georgia gets in over yeah. bama even though they lost to them which is kind of crazy kind of crazy but at the same time you're back-to-back defending champs yeah i think that you got one lot you got three one loss teams i'd give my benefit to the team that has won it the last two years give them a chance to defend it again not that I want to see Georgia in the final four. Like I'm not rooting for them, but I would just think if I'm the Husk, if, if the Huskies were in the same shoes, I'd be like, that's some bullshit where you, you're not even going to let us play to defend our championship. When realistically, I don't know that Bama did beat them, but I don't know that any of those teams have like Bama almost lost to Auburn just the week before on a fourth and 31 that they chucked it up to the back of the end zone. The week before that Auburn, paid New Mexico to come play them for their cupcake game before the Iron Bowl, and they lost to them. They paid them $2 million to lose to New Mexico, and Bama barely beat them. Meanwhile, the whole season, everyone was shitting on the Huskies because they were barely beating bad teams at times. But SEC is different, I guess. Yeah. I, like, so I don't, th- th- there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like, they just like to make stuff up as they go a lot of the times. Yeah, it's pretty wild that that you went from your Florida state goes from the number three team all year, pretty much like they've been sitting at two or three to then getting to then winning and getting booted by the number six and number eight team. Like, yeah. On the, like the final, the, they should have done it a week ago. Week. Exactly. If they, they were going to do that, they should have moved Florida gonna, state out a week ago. That, you should have moved them out a week ago instead of waiting until, or moved them out hoping Louisville was going to do it for them or moved them out right after they played Northern Alabama and Jordan Travis got hurt Yeah, and said, 
And you could even say, it's say not because of the injury, it's because you played Northern Alabama. Yeah. But it's hard to say that because Alabama played Chattanooga that same week. Yeah, so you can't hold everyone to the same standard there. Exactly. So, so. But it, it's just silly. I, I heard someone say this. Uh, it might have been on Dan Patrick's show or on Twitter. I can't even remember. But it's also, imagine if that happened to Texas. What if Quinn, what if Quinn Ewers snapped his leg in the fourth quarter of that game where they're up by 20 points, you think they'd get the same treatment? Probably not because Arch Manning is their backup. Yeah. And they'd say, give him a chance. You got to give him a chance. But it's like Rodemaker, he didn't play in the, in the AC championship because he's in concussion protocol. But I guarantee that he's a four or five star quarterback commit. Yeah. That hadn't really played at all because Jordan Travis is there, but it's like, I said, it's a TV show. They're not going to take Arch Manning out of an opportunity to go play for Texas, right? So it's like well, Arch Manning's the third string, so he wouldn't even be the guy. Wow. That, that we'd, see, we'd see. Yeah, I guess that's fair. If Florida State got in, let's say they were hypothetically in the top four, do you think, though, as far as like you were talking about like good television, do you think we would have saw another TCU-Georgia situation where it's just a complete blowout and kind of a waste of a game to well, watch? Well, that's the thing, too, that I've seen people say is that they're like – most is des- most deserving over that or whatever. TC- TCU beat Michigan. Like, like I said, Michigan has played two two good teams and one pretty good team in Penn State in their last fifteen games, and one of them was a TCU where they got their fucking socks blown off by them. Yeah. yeah so it's like so they got blown out in the championship game, but they earned that by beating Michigan, who. Is the number one team in the country who, again this year, played nobody except for Ohio State. And got caught cheating. <laughs> Twice. Well, the other time was earlier, but yeah. And got caught cheating. Yeah. I yeah, saw I think they had three separate scandals in one season. I saw I saw this graphic. Uh I think maybe maybe friend of the show Zal sent it. I'd seen it on Twitter though already. Is that they're like, air quotes, can't put Florida State in because of their quarterback play. The last three games. Florida State quarterbacks have combined for 441 yards and like three touchdowns. Michigan's quarterback has a, a accounted for 436 yards and one touchdown. So it's like so how, so again, how are you going to use that that their quarterback they lost their quarterback, their quarterback play isn't good enough when it's like their quarterbacks have actually their second and third string has actually outperformed JJ McCarthy. And McCarthy was a Heisman candidate at one point. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. so like, so make it make sense. I mean, yeah. Florida State is just like Michigan. Their strength is their defense. I heard a Florida State fan say this as a caller on a radio show today that is like, Jordan Travis, it's no disrespect to him, very good player, and like a big part of this team. He's not one of the five best players on this team. Their wide receiver, like Keon Coleman, is easily their best offensive player. And then they have four or five guys on their defense that are all probably going to be first or second round picks. They're a top five defense in the country. Yeah. So I, they're no different than Michigan. Their team isn't based on the fact that they have a all-star quarterback and a great offense. They play phenomenal defense and they, and they manage the game on offense because they have guys at skill positions. And Jordan Travis is a good quarterback, but even he isn't, he's not Michael Penix. He's not, well, he's probably Bo Nix, but that's neither here nor there. But he's not Quinn Ewers. He's not Michael Penix. Like, he's not one of those elite-tier quarterbacks. But he is very good. Yeah. 
So it's like that's not the strength of their team was their offense. It was their defense. So then you punish them because their offense is getting worse. But it's like Michigan's offense sucks. So so kind of going back to my original question, do you think Florida State would have been competitive against Michigan? Do you think that would have been a good game? Well, hopefully they would have played the Huskies. And no, they wouldn't have been competitive. But I, I think, honestly, against Michigan, I think they would have been because it would have been a defensive game where they like neither team moves the ball very much. Would it be a good game? No. Would it be close? I think it would be. Yeah. It's defense versus defense. And then my follow-up question with that too, going back to Michigan and all their scandals this year, a team that has that much controversy in one season for cheating, do you think they even deserve to be in the number one spot? No, I don't think so. Well, I think the Huskies should be in the I, I mean, number I think one spot. even outside of the – Even cheating, in the top four. Let's say top four. They should be in the top four. Yeah. I th- I think that uh, it's hard to hard to punish the kids who are out there on the field playing for that, you know, the, and they've gone out and uh, won all their games. So it'd be hard to say, yeah, you you guys are out this year. It's it's going to be even harder when they slap them slap them for a year suspension or something down the road if the NCAA does that for people who weren't even on the team. But that's a different story. So, but I think the Huskies are just have a better resume regardless. Because as Luke said, they've played nobody. We have more we have more ranked opponents, more people just in general that we've played that were hot and ranked at the time. It like that may not be ranked now. Um our, our strength of schedule is what, top five, top ten, somewhere in there. I think, is like I think Rick something. I think Rick Neuheisel ran this ran down the list today when I heard him on the radio that outside of Ohio State, Michigan, every team that they've played this year is like 100th or worse in offensive ranking. Not even in the top 100, because Penn State's not in the top 100 in offense. Ohio State is the only team they played that's a top 100. There's only 133 teams, mind you, in college and and D1, which, you know, if you play an FCS opponent, you know, they don't count either. But it's like, it's only 133 teams in FBS football, and they played one opponent that was in the top 100. So, yeah, so I know their defense games. is good, but yeah. like, how would you even know? How would you even know that their defense is that good? They didn't play a single good offense. They played one good offense and they gave up 20 something points. So like still pretty good. Yeah. You know, but like, so they didn't play anybody. Like I said, their resume is based off of the fact that they were a final four team last year who lost to the team who deserved to be there, but wasn't actually that good. Right. in TCU and TCU scored fucking 50 points on them. Yeah. And then they followed that up by playing nobody until their last second to last game of the year against Ohio state, which, so why, why, why are they, why are they the number one team in the country? Other than the fact that at the beginning of the year, you said they were good. They didn't lose. Like, yeah, but the same could be said of Florida state. Exactly. Is that beginning of the year, you said they were good. They didn't lose. They beat now, LSU yeah, week one. They beat yeah. They beat two SEC schools during during the season, and all they've done is win. And you punish them. Meanwhile, yeah. you you uh, put Texas in and Bama. Yeah, I I don't. I I'm uh, I'm with you. I think that uh, I think that it should have been Florida State three, Georgia four. To answer the question, since I which to be fair would be worse for the Huskies because uh, in my mind it should have been Huskies one, Michigan two, Florida State three, Georgia four. Yeah, 
and I'd rather play Texas than Georgia. But at the end yeah. of the day, it's like all all pat in my mind, all paths lead through the Huskies. Yeah. So I don't care if if Georgia's in the Final Four, whether you play them in the first round or the second round, yeah, you're gonna play. play you're gonna play them. They're probably gonna win their first round game if they're the two or three seed. So like, you just have you just have to beat them. Yeah. So. Like yeah, I don't if, really care who Bama, the Huskies' yeah, opponent. If Bama playing the at eight, playing the one, jumps them into fourth place. Then the Huskies playing at three, playing the five, should jump Michigan. Like when Michigan plays nobody, who played an Iowa team that can't score more than fifteen points yeah, on average, and beating them for a second time, you know, and and Oregon was everyone's darlings, which we'll talk about that soon enough, I'm sure, in this cast. But like Oregon's everyone's darlings, and we were double digit underdogs against them even though we've already beat them this season and then we we go and fucking bounce them again outside of a late touchdown outside of a late touchdown we blew them out um yeah yeah that was some bullshit by the dogs but (laughs) yeah exactly but you more on that later yeah we'll get we'll get to that but it's just uh i don't know the the committee had to get an sec team in there so they found their way, and I think they, I think they want to put Bama in. <laughs> I don't know why, but I think I think what's really shitty is that I'm they, trying to I'm trying to remember if the ACC they want to put the SEC champion in in, and so it's Bama, and because Texas beat Bama, you have to put Texas in. I'm trying to remember if the ACC was a part of this, but I feel like it was really the SEC and the Big Ten, but they had talked about expanding the playoff long before to get it to 12 teams. And the SEC was the biggest uh, no-go on that. They're like, no. And why would they? Why would they want to expand it? They always have one team in every year, if not two. It's like, why do we need to expand? We own the college football playoff. And then it's also just a self-fulfilling prophecy is that then you – basically guarantee that you have half the field every year. And so then you win most of the years. So then it's easy for you now to be like, well, you have to put in the sec champion. We've won all of them basically, except for Clemson. Right. Yeah. So it's like, so you have to put us in. And so then you fast forward to right now that it's like, you're the biggest, biggest haters on expanding it. And so now you just get your way again, is that you might have a year where, which Again, I already said that I would have put Georgia in, but you get a year where you could make a case that no SEC team gets in, but they're just like, that's fine. We'll knock, we'll knock out 13 and 0 Florida state for an SEC team. So you just they get to eat their cake and have it too. Yeah. You're not in favor of expanding the playoff because you control the college football playoff. And the second you have an opportunity to be like, that was dumb of you. You should have been on board with us expanding. You'd be like, Nope, we'll just. We'll just knock a undefeated power power five conference team out. Yeah. And we'll still give you your way, which to put a bow on all this, that's why the Huskies had to move to the big 10 because there's haves and there's have nots. And the sec has already proven that they're the haves. They can stop the entire college football world from expanding to a 12 team playoff for a while. They can stop that because that's the kind of power they have. And they have the power that in the last year that it's a four team and they maybe don't deserve a spot, they still get it. So you're either a have, and the SEC and the Big Ten are haves, or you're a have-not. And so you better be so, you better be there because the ACC's a have-not too. 
I would have thought that they unless unless your name Clemson. Yeah, I I thought I thought there was a little conspiracy that they would make sure that Florida State gets in purely because if they don't get in, which they didn't, they'd be like, "That's you're going to kill the ACC." Florida State now is going to be like, "We got to get out of this conference. This is fucking bullshit." Yeah. Can't be a part of this. This is a sinking ship. So well, you think there's a conspiracy? The, that might be the ultimate goal then. And yeah. and maybe that was the goal of the committee is it like we just want to expedite this. Yeah. Kill the ACC too. Don't let Florida State in. They'll disband. We'll pick up SEC will pick up the scraps of Clemson and Florida State. And then <laughs> Yeah. And Miami. And like, boom. Out of me. Now now you've consolidated. Now, you now it's a monopoly. You've consolidated into into your two two powers, so all right, well, we have a lot more to talk about. We got uh, Heisman finalists. We got the Pac-12 championship to talk about. We got basically a pregame of Washington and Texas and talking about the Seahawks and their loss and their upcoming schedule. We'll be right back after this commercial break. And we're back. So we got a healthy debate coming up. Now, I want to make it clear that Luke is anti uh, Michael Penix. He does not want to see him win the Heisman. He made that very clear to me earlier when we discussed the segment. So for all of you listeners, just know that Luke is a horns up type of guy and wants to see Penix uh, basically just collapse in the dirt. That's that's what he told me earlier. So we got our Heisman finalists. We got Jaden Daniels. We got uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. We got Bo Nix and Michael Penix. So we're going to do a healthy debate. Obviously, Luke actually wants Penix to take it home, and I think he believes that he deserves to win the Heisman. But for sake of argument, Luke is going to play the devil's advocate, and Nigel is going to be pro Penix. So let's start this off. Nigel, why should Michael Penix be the Heisman winner? Because uh, he he went undefeated this year, uh, which is, you know, it's a gauntlet. He's been, I would say he's been, he's been in the, at least in the conversation all year long. Like he was a, you know, a top five to start the year. And he's the only one, I think, in that top five outside of Harrison, who's creeping in at this point. I Which think, is also too. bullshit. But yeah, we'll, I agree. We'll, we'll I agree. talk that's on a, that yeah, more. I, yeah, we could agree on that bit. Like, I also think that's Luke, BS. remember your role. Yeah, but. Well, you didn't say that devil's advocate doesn't mean that I can say that Marvin Harrison should be there. He's He's been in <laughs> Don't the. Don't worry, I'm going to bring it full yeah. circle. He started He started in the top five for favorites for this. He's All he's done is go and prove that every single week that he should should be this guy. Um, he has video game numbers. He's the only quarterback of the bunch that actually throws the ball down the field. Uh, Bo Nix throws checkdowns and has an insane yard after ca- or yard after after catch. Um, versus Penix, who has a ton of air yards, which is much more difficult. Um, you have you did you also have uh, with J T Daniels, the other guy who's Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels, sorry, yeah, Jaden Daniels. Um. He he had a, a game week ten or eleven against like the Citadel or some bullshit where he threw eight touchdowns in that uh, game. I think it was Georgia State. Yeah, sure. Whoever it was, 
Citadel, hey, Georgia in, State. Hey, they're <laughs> yeah. actually a fierce club, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I hear. I'm putting my SEC hat on so, right now. So he, they're uh, a scrappy bunch. So he he has uh, basically has four non-conference games as a, instead of uh, the three that Penix has. And in one of those games when he's – Deep in the or deep in the season, he he goes off for eight touchdowns, which completely pad his stats. Now, granted, Penix had some some games early in the season that he pads the stats too, but he also never played a full game the entire uh, that that in, entire stretch there at the beginning of the year. He was playing two and a half quarters usually at most. Yeah, basically up until the Arizona game, he was yeah he was done by the fourth quarter and i don't know i don't know if Jaden daniels played the fourth quarter in that game or not for lsu but either way he put up eight touchdowns because the team is in stride at that point you're not like trying to figure things out and trying to get guys looks you're just like let's keep everyone let's keep everyone sharp and then get get them in get everyone's touches and then get out of this game so um what what else can i say i mean Penix. Penix has a great smile. He's a leader. He's he's been through the gauntlet this year. He's uh, he's has the best best schedule of any of these other guys. He um, he hasn't lost like Daniels. I, I mean, I, I I can't see any reason why anyone else would even be close. Honestly, I'm gonna counter. Oh, and he beat Bonix again, which Bonix was the, he beat Bonix twice. Who's the other the other contender there? So. I think uh, I think head to head you have to take Penix over Knicks, guaranteed. And Jane Daniels has three losses on the year and has pad statting games, so that's kind of the main my uh, main reasons there. So first, I'm going to put a slight uh, asterisk next to what Tanner said at the beginning, is that I will play devil's advocate, not for why why Penix shouldn't win the Heisman. Because I am in lockstep with you there that he should. I just don't think he really has any chance. I actually believe that he has very little chance to actually win. Where I think you actually think that... I guarantee he's going to win. <laughs> so so there's no argument that we want him to win or he should win. I just don't think that he will. And the reasons he won't win is that A... Unfortunately, it's just kind of a stats-driven award a lot of the times. And Jaden Daniels, I mean, they've said it before, is that he's got 50 total touchdowns. And I don't think any player that's definitely any SEC player, because, again, we can argue that the SEC is not that good this year, which I would tend to agree the Pac-12 is a better conference. But every player who's gotten 50 touchdowns in a season has won the Heisman. And I think it's just Joe Burrow. Is the is the only other player that has fifty? Yeah, but Joe Burrow also played on an undefeated team that won the national championship. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't matter. Honestly, if I was gonna make an argument uh, to say why Michael Penix won't win the Heisman, my number one thing would be is that I'll just we could do the way back music if I'm feeling frisky when I'm editing this. But I told you three or four weeks into the season. Penix isn't your real Heisman on this team. It's Roma Dunze. And I would think that, I don't know if the voters will even consider that, but I honestly think that if they would have pumped Roma Dunze as their Heisman candidate, when Michael Penix wasn't having good games against Arizona State, which I think that was, no, Arizona was, Rome. I, th- I saw this today, 
Arizona was Roma Dunze's worst game. I think it was eight catches for 64 yards, which really isn't that bad of a game for being your worst game of the season. Yeah. But that was his lowest production in a game this year. But if they would have really pumped him as the Heisman, that the weeks that Penix really lost the Heisman were uh, Oregon State. That was a really bad game where he had a great game and had the big touchdown catch, which also Penix should get credit for. But in a game where he only had one passing touchdown, the one the guy who caught the ball in this situation, Roma Dunze, gets a lot more credit as far as stats go than Penix, who had 150 yards and one touch or 180 or 200 yards passing and one touchdown, and Adunze had 120 yards and one touchdown. Who was the better player that game, Adunze? Washington State, he only had one passing touchdown, I think, too. And it was also to Adunze. And he also had over 100 yards. So every time Penix had a bad game, Adunze still had a good game. And Marvin Harrison Jr. being at the Heisman ceremony is the lowest, there's the largest load of crap I've ever heard. Dog because water. he's not, he, and this could be, it's a shift because I just don't really want to talk that much shit about Penix. So, I, well, I'm naturally trying to shift the conversation away from that. Is that, is that Marvin Harrison I would, me personally, as much as I love Roma Dunze, if I if I'm an NFL GM, I'd probably still draft Marvin Harrison Jr. over Roma Dunze. But like that's the only reason that he's in the Heisman contention. Like his numbers are not better than Roma Dunze's. He's not Maybe, even on the Bolitnikov final finals list, is he? He is. Oh, he is. But he is. Okay. Troy Franklin's one who got left. That's off. right. Troy Franklin. Got it's. Left off. It's uh, the kid from LSU, and it's Marvin Harrison, and it's Roma Dunze. And Rome better win that award, or then it'll really be fucking crock of shit that they give it to Marvin Harrison or LSU's receiver, especially if they give when they give the Heisman to Jaden Daniels. And then, like, also the Blitnikoff Award goes to LSU's receiver. Then it's like, well, then, like, which is it? So they have the two best players. They have the two best skill players in all of college football. Like, And they still lost three games. Yeah, exactly. And they still lost three games. So that would be that would be partially where I would argue against it, is that I think that a lot of people would look at it and say, and I still think it, that it's like Roma Dunze is the better Heisman candidate on this team because he had no bad games. And I don't know that Penix really did either, but he definitely had not – stat producing games yeah, he had games that were bad compared to his normal games of 330 yards sure yeah. and he threw for 220 or something and didn't look as good quote, quote and unquote. i'm gonna i'm gonna further shift the conversation here in a second but uh really the last reason and this isn't a good reason but it in my mind is the reason why michael Penix will not win the heisman is because i think a lot of people East of Colorado probably already cast their vote for Jaden Daniels before the Pac-12 championship game, which is not right. You should not do that, but I just guarantee it that they already have their mind made up and they'd already say, I don't care how, how well Bo Nix plays or how well Michael Penix plays in the Pac-12 championship game. They're not better than, or they don't deserve my vote more than Jaden Daniels. And I, guarantee that there's a bunch of people who already cast their vote. And furthermore, what I'd say on top of that is that going into that game, 
going into that game, which I think, again, is also bullshit. Are you even bullshit. allowed to cast your vote prior yes. to that? Yes. Like, that's crazy. Yes. You why can start- would you wait and wait to... Or why would you not wait to cast your vote? Until voting like, opens, I think, like that, like the Monday before. Like, that's asinine. I think but. voting opens right, basically, right after the last regular season game, and then it closed today at two o'clock yeah, uh, Pacific time. That's asinine. But what I will say is that I would never prop up Bo Nix. But I said this after the game: is that if they didn't already vote for Jane Daniels, the way that Bo Nix played in that game would say that he. You, I wouldn't vote for Bo Nix the way he played after that game because because of how poorly he played. But that seems like some real shit from the voters that Jane Daniels doesn't even have the opportunity to play again in a conference championship and to prove that he's a good player. Bo Nix got that opportunity and didn't play very well, but I guarantee that that performance hurts his chances of winning the Heisman when it shouldn't. The fact that you got to play one more game and it hurts your chances seems like some real shit that Jane Daniels is like, oh, he's clearly the Heisman now because Bo Nix wasn't very good against Washington. It's like, well, Jane Daniels didn't even play. Yeah. And one of his last games, like you said, was an eight-touchdown performance. Jane Daniels wasn't even in the conversation until, I think, Halloween, roughly. The last month of the season, he wasn't even in the conversation. And now he's going to come in and, and sweep it and take it from everyone. That's usually how I it just, goes, though. I just can't. I just can't buy that. I don't. I don't know. It's that just doesn't feel right. And I don't think that's how you, how it usually goes. Like um, uh, Williams didn't just come in last year and just just take it out of nowhere. Like he was. No, he, but we joke about it all the time. Is that there's the Denard Robinson, the Heisman sep- September Heisen, Heisman or yeah, whatever. There's the, that, like, yeah, there's the week they've won it Heisman and then and then come yeah come late October. Then it's like the field really starts to show itself because now you actually start to get these games against conference opponents and guys separate themselves. But I will say again, I'm not really doing a good job of being the devil's advocate to Penix. But uh, what I will say though is that he will be punished because his stats aren't nearly as like I mean he still led the country in passing yards so that should count for something but his his touchdowns aren't that high but you look at like even the game against Oregon like Dylan Johnson had as many passing touchdowns as he did because Dylan Johnson made that shovel pass to Jeremy Bernard yeah but it's like the Huskies who got them down the field the Huskies all season did made the plays that would win them games regardless of who was making the play. Yeah. And so they're go- they're going to punish Michael Penix for only having 34 touchdowns or what I don't even have his numbers in front of me, but for only having 34 touchdowns because they played in games where against were against uh Oregon in in uh in the conference championship game. Dylan Johnson runs it in. Dylan Johnson Shovel passes it to Jeremy Bernard. You run the ball in because you're making plays that will win and you're not trying to pad stats. USC, you had a game where I think you only had two passing touchdowns. We scored 52 points and only had two passing touchdowns because they couldn't stop us from running. So the Huskies did the play, the right plays to help them win the game. They're not out there trying to pad stats for Penix. I'm like, they can't stop us running. We're going to run the ball. We're in the red zone. We're going to run the ball. And... Dylan Johnson goes for 250 and four touchdowns on the ground. Like, so you should be rewarded at the end. You're rewarded at the end of the season by getting your playoff berth. 
right? Because yeah. you made all the right choices throughout the season without like being like, well, we want Penix to win Heisman, so we're going to spam his stats here. Yeah, and I think I think the uh, thirty-three touchdowns, by the way, yeah, 33. thirty-three compared to to forty, I to think fifty is what. Oh yeah, because he had ten rushing. Jane Daniels has fifty total touchdowns. Yeah, he has forty passing. And, which I don't even know that they put. I say how many? I don't think that they Penix put Penix's, passing touchdowns. That's he has Penix a, passing touchdowns. I don't think they. He's got one or two rushing. Yeah, he has thirty three he, rushing, and he's got a couple. Thirty three passing. Thirty three passing, but I he definitely think, ran one in against Oregon there, right at the end. Yeah, I I think I think you said this the other day, um, and it's that Jane Daniels could have done all this same stuff for Arizona State this year hypothetically and they went seven and three or whatever eight and nine and three nine and three and and he wouldn't be the heisman like he wouldn't win it but because he's on lsu he's now the front runner because he did this same thing because he did it in the sec because he did it in the sec where most of the opponents he played were giving up 50 points a game yeah so i don't i don't know i i uh i think Jaden daniels had a hell of a season especially when you account for the fact that he scored eight touchdowns. If you take away the eight touchdowns in against Waverly Baby Home, well, they're pretty much even. I said this. Now, Penix also padded his stats because I was looking at earlier is that he had five touchdowns against Boise in the opener, and then I think he had four against Tulsa and four against Michigan State. But those are obviously better opponents than what Jane Daniels played in his non-conference, aside from Florida State, which was the first game of the year. But his other three non-conference opponents were like Georgia State, like I said, where he had eight touchdowns, and then Army and Grambling State, Grambling State being an FCS school, where he had, I don't remember the split on on the other nine touchdowns, but he had 17 total touchdowns in those three non-conference games. So, so you, you can't take you can't yeah. take those away, but like if you're at that's literally the difference between 33 and 50, if my math is correct, yeah. is that like you played you played Grambling State, who's an FCS school, uh, Georgia State, who's an FCS school, and you played Army, who hasn't played a modern style of football since 1940. So like I don't really know, like why 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 would you, why would that 50 touchdown mark really be that gaudy of a number when it's like you did a lot of stat padding like Michigan State didn't have the year that they wanted I don't know where Tulsa ended but they're a comparable opponent probably to Army I guess yeah and then you played Boise State who's the Mountain West champs who they also didn't have their best year but they're still the Mountain Mountain West Conference champions so and you had five touchdowns against them so there should be some weight there but I guess my closing argument would still be is that Roma Dunze was the best Heisman candidate on this, on this Husky team, in my opinion. And I think that voters already have their mind made up that the sec is the greatest thing that's ever touched college football. And if a guy has 50 touchdowns, that must mean that he's the best player in, in all the world of college football. So yeah, I just, I think it is going to be an interesting year where you're going to see, I think Bo Nix, Michael Penix, and Jane Daniels are all going to receive multiple first place votes. Yeah. When many years it's like one guy gets basically the lion's share of all the first place votes. Maybe another guy gets a couple and then everybody else gets second or third place votes. 
This might be the first year in a long, long time. It's really going to come down where, to total points. Where it's going to come down to a lot more total points. Where first place, there's a wider spread of first place votes. But I think I still think Jane Daniels is going to have a heavy lead over Bonix and Penix. I mean, I would think the entire West Coast is going to vote Penix number one, and the entire East Coast should be voting Penix number two. Pretty much at this point. But you said so, it before. Everyone, everyone just loves the slob on Oregon's knob. Even after they lost, I mean, again, switching switching the conversation is that that the day after the day after or on Sunday, so the day after all the conference champions, ESPN puts up their FPI football power index. They had they had Michigan number one, Ohio State number two, Penn State number three, Oregon number four, Washington at thirteen. That was ESPN's power index of football of who their best teams were Oregon at four and Washington at 13 after we beat them for the second time in the season. So, so who's vote who's voting for who's voting for Penix ESPN obviously doesn't control okay. every, they don't control all the, every Heisman voter, <laughs> yeah. but I, they control a lot. They control the narrative. And a lot of times these people, like you said before, we've said a million times, like nobody, nobody's watched Washington or Penix. They've watched Oregon a little bit because they're Nike money and they're flashy and they get all of the attention even when they're not very good. I mean, I think that's the one thing you have going for you is that everyone who has watched Washington has watched them against Oregon and watched us beat them twice. But he also didn't have – he had a good game the first time, but he didn't have like this crazy – 300, 300 He didn't have this crazy there. stat game, though. He only had one touchdown against Oregon. He yeah, threw one and ran one in. Yeah. So he had two touchdowns. And, and 300 yards, right? 330? Yeah, but I feel there. like they don't... People... They said at the and end of the... multiple... At the end of the day, Multiple huge passes down the field. Like, it's not like it was check down city. It was... It was big passes, 30-plus yard chunks, all game long in both those games, whenever he wanted it. Huge touchdowns, game-winning touchdowns, back shoulder throws. Like, it's... It's real... NFL quarterback play, not... Uh, and you bring up a good point because Marvin Harrison Jr. made the final four for for Heisman, is that it's interesting because they'll use that same logic that it's like Marvin Harrison is the best NFL wide receiver prospect and he had good numbers and he plays for Ohio State, so he should, he should be a part of the conversation. But then when you roll that argument over to Penix that it's like he's the best NFL prospect out of all out of these quarterbacks and he's made the most NFL style plays like Marvin Harrison be like, yeah, I just don't know if the stats are there though. It's like, Oh, but I guess Marvin Harrison's stats are good enough, even though they're worse than a Dunes and Troy Franklin's. Yeah. So like I said, it's just like the playoff committee stuff that we talked about. It's like, they talk out of both sides of their mouth and none of it really makes sense. Penix for Heisman. Guaranteed. Yeah, I want Lock Penix. I want Penix to win. Lock it in on Friday. Penix is winning it. I'd love to see if they publish when people made their vote because I still think that you're going to see a lot of Jaden Daniel number one Heisman votes that came in on Wednesday of last week before the game was even played. Well, a lot of people do publish it out now, and I'm sure that you're not allowed to say what you voted until after it's an, yeah, until after after that's after what I'm saying Heisman's. after after it's all said and done. A lot of like at least good journalists will put it out there, and usually you see like some the athletic or someone will throw together a compilation of what the who voted for what and what that is. So I'll be curious to see, especially if Penix loses, what that what that was. 
All right, let's sidestep into the Pac-12 championship. We've already kind of been happily. We take it up, get get going with it. Tell me about it. Well, first and foremost, since we didn't do a podcast a week before, I think I could speak for everyone in the room and say that it was utter disrespect that the Huskies came out as I think they opened as nine and a half point dogs, and they ended up being ten point underdogs going into the game. That alone is complete bullshit to me considering we beat them at home and i know that everyone and their mom who isn't a husky fan is like well you know they shouldn't like they got lucky they're three-point favorites at home you're at home you you lost uh you know could have made a field goal at the end of the game to to win it and they barely beat us and if we didn't do this or do that and blah 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 it's like said this the entire time that like our kicker missed a field goal uh, going forward on fourth down, stuff like that, that it's like, I never... A thousand excuses. A thousand excuses, but I never understand, like, how you make those arguments when it's like, oh, well, if Bo Nix hits his running back on third down when it was like, you know, third and goal from the five-yard line and the running back's wide open out of the flat and he throws it at his feet, it's like, well, Bo Nix is still your quarterback, right? Right? Yeah. He's still your quarterback. Okay. Oh, Dan Landing, if he doesn't go for it on fourth down or they don't make these coaching decisions, it was like, well, he's still your, he's still your coach, right? Oh, well, if our kicker doesn't miss this, well, he's still your kicker, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's like, so it's one thing when the Huskies go four and eight and you're like, well, it's going to be different this year. I'm like, why is it going to be different? It's like, well, we fired the entire staff and we got these new players in. We got the, so it's like, okay, so you're a completely different team. Maybe there'll be a different result, but it's like, all of the people who made mistakes last time you played are still on this team. And this was my number one thing that I had said, and we didn't do a podcast. I wish I could have said it then, but Nigel knows this because I said it. Said it to a friend of the show, Kristen, when we were at Rose Temple after volleyball. That was like, the number one thing that the Huskies need to do in this game is just keep it close. If you could be up, that's even better, like you were in the first game. But it's like, Dan Lanning, he's going to choke under pressure. Bo Nix, he's going to choke under pressure. Their kicker, Camden Lewis, he's going to choke under pressure. The only thing Oregon has going for it is that they're up by three scores in the first quarter of almost every game they've played except for the Huskies. So if you make it stay close, we know that Michael Penix is a winner. You give him the ball the chance to win, he will play his best football, even if he's had a bad game. You give Bo Nix the ball with a chance to win the game when they're losing, he will choke. And And what did he do in this game? He fucking choked. He didn't play well, really, the entire game. They had a nice stretch in the third quarter. Yeah, they had a nice little stretch. There, they, they bounced but back. But it wasn't really much, like, I'd still say that was a lot of the running game and Jordan James, right? No, the they didn't run the ball at all. They had 57 yards of rushing the entire game. And they had a 17-yard run by Jordan James. So they had 40, guess, 40 oh, yards of the, rushing on 20-something. And, and they had the big run from Bo Nix, too. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're yeah. Bo Nix did have a big run. Bucky Irving, I think, averaged 1.9 yards a carry. I think he had 20 carries for 38 yards. Okay, which, yeah, that that makes sense. And Jordan James had a 17-yard run and then maybe th- three yards of rushing. That was right in the stretch that they did well. Yeah. It was kind of like, right. They had two good possessions, yes. basically. Yeah, exactly. Where, where, and Bo Nix had a big run. Yeah, and they had, they, had one big, they had one big pass in there where he throws it across the body. I mean, agree with everything you said there. And which is why when the Huskies went out to a 10, 0 lead to start that game, I felt really, really good about it because it, all those things, all those things, uh, 
seemed to seem to start to come true as the game kind of progressed and you start out the game you start out the game hot you get you go up 10 points defense had probably their best game of the year against the run like and their best tackling game of the year i think I would so say. I, still I, miss some tackles because that's what they do but yeah, that's their that's oregon's game but I thought that uh, they swarmed the ball really well. Though they swarmed the ball well, they they did a, the D line did a good job of gobbling gobbling things up and, and making it you know two yard runs instead of five yard runs, and ultimately I feel like that's that was really the big difference in the game was the trenches. We were just more physical than them the entire game. Yeah, that and was so, that was the most encouraging thing I've seen from the, this Husky football team since the yeah. first Oregon game. Yeah, and it's been it's been kind of progressing forward, and you've heard us talk about it. It's like the, the USC game was the same thing. Like, we went out there, and our game plan was not to throw the ball for 500 yards against them. It was, we're going to be more physical than you. We have a better O-line. We have a better D-line. And we're just going to out-physical you all game long. And that's what good teams do. And so... Everybody thinks the Huskies are a finesse team that... And Penix leads the country in passing yards, but they've really shown since the first time we played Oregon, that it's like, no, we can be a complete offense if we have to be. And we actually have the ability, because we're so good at passing, that we can be a complete team because you have to respect it. The second that you start to try to bring your safeties up and stack the box because we're because Dylan Johnson's running all over you, Panics would be like, yeah, Jalen McMillan downfield, 40-yard throw. I mean, it seemed like that was a lot of our, a lot of our best plays in that Oregon game were just were balls where uh, – Penix just threw it right over the linebacker's head. We just ran a crossing route right behind linebackers. They're trying to get back in coverage. We smoke a corner off the line because our receivers are better. And Penix just drops a dime for 30 yards. Like that same like crossing route from the left side to right side. We hit that like three times at least in that game. Mm -hmm. Like the same exact play, same concept where it's like they're starting to creep up. We're starting to run the ball. We're out physicaling them. Penix drops a ball right over the right over their heads for thirty yards. Like chunk play, you just change the field, you change the momentum. Like even when they, even when Oregon kind of had their run, that was like the first thing we did. We went right back to that same play. And McMillan got thirty yards and changed the field. It's like that was. But main thing being, O line D line play was spectacular that entire game. O line was just crushing people all game long. I know a lot of those Oregon D linemen were were talking shit. I mean. We'd kind of talked about this off air that that Brandon Dorless, who's a pretty good D lineman. I mean, I had no beef with it. That he's kind of saying that like our job, our job is to get there and hit him. And like more or less was like he's kind of saying stuff that I feel like you're not supposed to say, but it's just the re- I didn't have a problem with it because it's a reality. Is that like you want to hit him and you want to hurt him. Like that, like that's football. Yeah. And I th- saw some Make people feel it at least. Yeah. You see, you it. see some people get pissy about it or whatever. It's like, you're trying to hurt quarterback. It's like, honestly, that's your job. Yeah. Like you get a free shot at the quarterback. You don't want to make it a dirty. It's you don't want it to be a dirty play, but you get a chance to hit the quarterback. Like the best thing that you can have happen is that you hurt him. Yeah. Like that's just the reality of it. That's football. It's a violent sport, not a dirty play. I'm not saying that like, target him like hit him with your helmet go helmet to helmet or spear him through his chest with your helmet or suplex him like not a dirty play but it's like you get a chance to get a free hit best thing you can do is hit him as hard as you can and if he's hurt after that then like that that's why you play the game yeah but the guy was a non-factor i think he had zero tackles zero pressures in the game yeah that's the same guy i think said too is like 
they're saying is that you get Michael Penix off off his spot and make him move. He's just a average standard quarterback. Nothing special. Those guys didn't do anything to make him look standard or average in that game. They got no pressure on him. Yeah. And again, this is why I don't understand why Oregon was 10-point favorites in the game. Like, they didn't pressure Penix that, that much in the first one. Maybe more than other teams had, but... Yeah, I think they got to him once, you know. Or once yeah, and they definitely hurt him in that one, too. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that leading yeah. up, is that I still think that he cracked a rib in that Oregon game, and that's why he looked so poor for many weeks after. Yeah. Although they said you, it was cramps, but yeah, did, did you, I think I sent that to you, um, after the game, Bo, there was like, I think Christian Capel or someone was, was nearby and like overheard Bo Nix talking to Penix, like in the, in the like tunnel after the game, like, and yeah, and he's like, you all right. It, and he's like, yeah, I don't know why people keep saying I'm hurt. Yeah. But that's yeah, just, still, yeah, that's a good still, poker face. Yeah, exactly. I think he's, he's had still, it all. He's had it all year. Face it, but thought it was an interesting bit, but yeah, bottom line there trenches trenches were unbelievable dylan johnson was effective enough he had he had a a perfect game for his like high end like the high end of his capabilities i think it was 25 for 152 exactly that's the most carries he's had in his career definitely in his husky career but i'm sure it was in his mississippi state career too and i think i was waiting uh, for you guys to mention him because that dude could have made a case for the mvp of that game oh yeah he was the mvp but i think that's a heisman thing that they yeah. even know that it's like give it to Penix because it's just one more thing. Thirteen and zero leads yeah. the country in passing yards. Pac twelve and uh, Pac twelve championship MVP. Yeah, like I you mean, have to give it to him. Me talking about the old line is basically me talking about Dylan Johnson at that point because he's running behind those guys. I just I want to give the guys in the trenches love, but Dylan Johnson had a great game. He he left uh, one or two on the table with uh, with. Tommy Turf getting a tackle on a on a third and short that we ended up punting on. Um, we had a we had a fun conversation after the game with friend of the show Zal too. Is saying is that Dylan Johnson, and I, I don't want to get too far down the road, but like Wayne Tulapapa, running back for the Huskies last year, didn't think much of him coming into the year. I thought a lot more about Dylan Johnson coming in because you could see his size. And the fact that he played at Mississippi State where he caught a lot of balls and honestly thought that he would be more of a receiving threat on this Husky team than he's been. But thought last year's like Tula Papa didn't think much about him coming into the year. But perfect fit for what you want for your offense. We pass the ball so much and spread things out so much. You need a guy who's just gonna put his head down and run forward, hit the hole. Don't need you don't need to be Ken Walker. You don't need to dance around behind the line and look for the big play the play is right in front of you four yards straight ahead is the best run that you can have in this offense because you just want to keep things moving and you want to move the chains dylan johnson i think took this to another level this year for the running back spot that like his ability to just really like grind out yards and it's been refreshing because it's honestly it's it's been a little while like miles gaskin is still one of my favorite running backs of all time but not the type of guy that it's like, oh, there's two guys in the hole. He's just going to run right into them and fall three yards forward. That wasn't his game. He was the guy that was Ken Walker that it's like he can break somebody down and make magic happen, which is great. But for this offense, you just need that wrecking ball. And he has been that and even more. Can you imagine if this Husky offense gets a running back on their team, though, that is like a B. John Robinson type? 
Yeah, true. Hard to find, obviously. Guy, like, yeah. but guy who can really catch the ball, but then can also run over people, run around them, do all of it. Yeah, it could be. A and I think the Huskies are going to find a guy like that pretty soon. Hopefully, the kid from O'Day, but <laughs> Jason Brown. But that's well, a that's a topic for a, a different podcast. But also, for as good as Dylan Johnson was on the ground. I would say that maybe even his best traits of that game were his pass blocking. Yep. How many how many times during that game did they try to they tried to rush the A gap, tried to rush a safety through or something, and Dylan Johnson just stonewalled them every single time. Like we know the O line's gonna stonewall these guys, like they've been doing it all year. But what what has been the Huskies kind of Achilles heel has been a gap a gap blitzers that are that was the, coming right into Penix's That face. was the formula after and, Arizona State. Arizona exactly. State just ran a gap blitz every single play and completely threw us out of our game yeah. and you're and so, absolutely right. And Dylan Johnson time and time again throughout that game had huge blocks on the in the passing game. So for his 26 carries, I'd say he accounted for just about every passing yard as well by having great blocks on there. So he he had a hell of a game. Like you said, Tan, I think he should have been MVP, but Penix, he was, Penix also was a worthy MVP too. He was on the radio today with Softy too, doing a quick interview talking about it. Just one of those guys, a guy, and they they kind of signed off with this, so I'll just piggyback on it, especially because more or less everybody on this team probably gets his status. But it's like, guy's only been here one year. He, he has more eligibility. He'll probably be back next year too, so it's not like it's a one-and-done thing. But it's like, Husky legend. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to think about because he's only been here it was only his first. He's only played 13 games for yeah. the team. And all he's done is go off for 250 against USC, 150 against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. But like, listen to that guy do an interview, too. He's just that guy, easy easy to be a Dylan Johnson fan. Very likable guy. Yeah, Always always has really good, positive things to say when he's on the microphone because I've heard a few interviews also with him. Also was the first guy to say Penix for Heisman when he got on the, on the mic on national TV. Like team guy it seems like and has been and, battling injury been in a boot the last couple weeks like and then go you could see at the end of that game there he's like he's hurting his like he's hobbling but the, to just fast forward to the end here a little bit of the game it's like bullshit holding call first one all game on us and in my mind, I still had so much faith just based off how that game. We we, we all said it. Yeah, what like, there is like it's third. Ball, yeah. It's third and twelve or whatever for the for the ball game, and we all said it, it was like Dylan Johnson's getting a first down here. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care what happens. Like he's going to run. There's no way you're going to stop him. Yeah, and then he actually had perfect blocking and yeah. basically went untouched yeah. until. And, and then he does the smart thing and he slides down. Yeah, I would have loved to see him throw Beautiful. a stiff arm and uh, go house. Just I would to, love to see that just too. to just to fuck Oregon, but uh, well, and smart smart play in the game, like and to move the conversation off Dylan Johnson for a second too is that to yeah, <laughs> no, don't worry, I got more flowers for him later. But this is again more uh, talking about Husky football in the future past this season. But Husky defense has been lights out in the fourth quarter of all of these games, and that the touchdown, the fucking bullshit. Bullshit pass interference call on Jabbar Muhammad to end the first half that gets Oregon their only touchdown. Should have been 20-6 to six going into halftime, which would have made a huge difference, but they call that P.I. on Jabbar Muhammad. That which was insane. It's horrible. But 
they have a great third quarter. Oregon does. They score two touchdowns. They they get right back in. They get they take the lead, twenty four to twenty, right? But Husky defense in the fourth quarter has just been nails. Like the basically since the first Oregon game, which they were also good in that game too. I think in the yeah. in the second half. But it was a very similar type of game, honestly. Very similar but type they, of game. We were ahead, and then Oregon comes back in the third, takes the lead, and then we get the ball back. We, in the yeah, and then we and shut them like down. Go. We shut them down in the fourth. But they they only gave up seven points in the fourth quarter, and it was right after we went up, you know, uh, by ten points with two minutes left in the game, and they they have their first. That's the real shame of it is that they have their first real lapse in the fourth quarter in the last seven eight games where they give up a touchdown basically in two plays. Yeah, two plays, 30 little, seconds. Little, like, 15-yard in route to whoever. I don't even know. And a, that Bama transfer, I forget uh, his name, but kind of a big dude. Like, kind of reminds me of Debo a little bit, that guy, actually. Yeah, it's but, like Tez yeah. Walker or something yeah. like that. But I don't remember his name. But, yeah, catches it, missed tackle, missed tackle, runs down the sideline. Guy thinks he's just going to push him out of bounds, doesn't, and – but other than that, it's like you were about to do it again where you are going to shut out the number five team in the country in the fourth quarter. It's like it's Husky defense. I don't think anyone's going to confuse them with being Georgia of a year ago where they're going to send their entire team to the NFL draft and probably get picked in the first three rounds. But they show up when they need to. Yeah, they play Just like Penix does. Yeah. They show up when they need to. Yeah. And that's why if I'm Texas, I'd be worried. I'd be very worried because the offense with Jalen McMillan back and everybody having a month to get healthy and get right offense, you know, is going to be clicking. And this defense, I had a lot of confidence towards the end of last year because you started to see them do that in the last like four games of the year where they were really bad for a stretch. Injuries had a lot to do with that in the secondary, but you started to see them kind of chip away and like really start to make strides as a, as a team defense, like you just said. And then they went out there this year, and I guess to bring Dylan Johnson back into it, for all the people who talk about recruiting and transfers and stuff like that, that's why DeBoer is Chris Peterson reincarnated, is that I don't think anyone thought that when they got Dylan Johnson and Jabbar Muhammad to transfer there, that these were like the biggest, splashiest transfers that had ever come to any program. Those guys have been two of the biggest difference makers that are out there. Yeah. Those guys have been awesome. Yeah. They're easily in the top, if not top five, top ten in terms of players on this team. If you exclude offensive line because that, that's a unit, you know. So, like, we'll let the offensive line be its own unit. But you think about any of the other players, you know, Penix, Adunze, Dylan Johnson, Jabbar Muhammad, Latuli Latuli. Yeah. It's probably my top five. Yeah. You know who else had a great Braylon game? Braylon Trice. Yeah, Braylon Trice. You know who else had a great game? Uh, Cam Fab. Yes. Finally finally healthy again, looks like. He's been battling injuries. Like, guy that, if this pod had been around the last several years, you'd have heard Luke and I talking a lot of shit about Cam Fab. Uh, but he's gotten to his, you know, end of his career. Savvy veteran. Had probably his best game I've ever seen from him or at least one of the best games. He had a two interception game earlier this year. So maybe that's uh, or back to back games with interceptions. Maybe that's what it was, but yeah. he had, he had a huge game there. Just like 
coming coming from safety and just making big hits to stop stop plays on for a team that struggled with tackling that was like a banner game for a guy like cam fab that he he just made the tackle on on first contact yeah all game long on guys in and, in big space and we said and we said this going into the Oregon game is it like for as much as everybody loves Oregon it's like it should be it should be a pretty easy scout when you're scouting their offense is like Bo Nix 75% of his throws are behind at or inside of 9 yards of the line of scrimmage so they're they're banking on you missing tackles you need to press up on it, and you need to make tackles. And the Huskies definitely missed some tackles in that game, but they made a lot more than they missed. Yeah. And you saw it all game. Yeah. Said we really that pi call at the end of the first half. Like again, excuses, bitching, like whatever. Like the game happens how it happens, and there are plays that go in your favor and things that don't. But they don't get that pi call. It's probably twenty to six. Maybe the kicker misses a. 38-yard field goal, 40-yard field goal. He has in the past. That's the thing, too, is that not to not to bag on their kicker too much, but it, it, they showed the stat during the game is that I think coming into that first Husky matchup, he was like 6 of 6 or 8 of 8, something like that. And he's been like 4 of 10 ever since he missed that game, game tire yeah. against Oregon. And so he's been shaky. So clearly it got in his head. <laughs> like that that miss did but you don't get the pi call it's probably 20 to 6 at halftime you don't give up the late the two play touchdown at the end of the game just like the first game you don't do a couple things differently it's probably a double digit win both times and that's why the husky should be number like 1 Dan Lanning. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. But that's, ifs, if, ifs and buts, no. But, you know, uh, no, but, honestly, to bring it full circle, that's why, again, it's bullshit that Florida State didn't get in. It's because the game is played on the field. Yeah, It's not played by what you think will happen on paper, like, oh, well, this guy should make this play and do this or do that. It's like, these are tw- 20-year-old athletes. you got to play the game. And guys either make plays when they're supposed to make plays or they don't. And that's why you play the game on the field is that you hope that when you put them in that environment, if, if you're the other team, you hope that their guys won't make the plays that they need to make. And you're going to do something that will make them not make those plays. So that's bullshit that they decide in a committee on paper that these guys will make plays and these guys won't. Because you never, you never really know. Yeah. And that's all I got to say about... Uh, yeah, I can go on about the. Do you want me to keep riffing on on the Oregon game? Because I can't. That was that's one of the greatest games. Again, said it said it on the last it was podcast. A, it was one. a fitting into the Pac-12. You know, last Pac-12 last champions. Pac-12 champions. I mean, we said it at the beginning of the year on the podcast. Expectation is a college football playoff, and I think, again, also said it. DeBoer, I think they're they're the ones that it's like they know how to set the expectation. There's no. There's no like ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like they're very dialed in. They have a directive. They know what they're doing. They know how to prepare for it. Was it pretty every single game? No, it wasn't. But the Huskies also. But the Huskies think, are battle tested now. It's like you had yeah, so that's much. I've been wanting yeah. to say this entire time yeah. is that your best teams are not always the prettiest wins yeah. because you see these high explosive offenses. Like a lot of times, you see them fall apart and crumble because they're not battle tested. The Seahawks. Excuse me, the the Huskies 
that's the comparison I want to make is kind of like the Seahawks in some of their glory years yeah. is that sometimes they play to their opponent, but they finish in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And yeah. that's a true team. That's a team that can win no matter what the circumstance is. Yeah. And I think that's why you're seeing the Huskies potentially take it all. Yeah. And that's, they could, that's a good point. Cause that was, a, that was another thing I was thinking going into the week and saying is that it's like Huskies for better or worse, they play to their opponent. So when they play a bad team, they don't always look their best. But, again, that's why Pettick should win Heisman. He's always at his best when the game is at the biggest moment. And I don't know that Heisman – a lot of Heisman voters, I think they just look at the stat sheet and they don't – they haven't seen Pettick's play. So they see 33 touchdowns and 4,200 yards. And, like, those are pretty good stats. But Jane Daniels has 3,800 yards and 50 touchdowns and another five or 600 yards rushing. Or whatever he has rushing. I don't even know how much he has. I mean, 50 tutties, it's flashy. But at the end of the day, a quarterback should be judged by their wins. Right. And so when, you, But if you actually watch the games, even like that Oregon State game, because I don't think we even did a pod. We haven't even done a pod since the Oregon State game. Not a very good stat game for Michael Penix or anybody except for Roman Dunze. But game on the line, what did they do? Third down? They throw a back sh- – Michael Penix throws a back shoulder fade to Roma Dunze to ice the game. Yeah. Like – 20 yards down the field in a game when he – Jaden – Jaden – I guarantee you no coach in the country would ever trust Jaden Daniels or any other player on the co- in the country. Yeah, it's like, do you think Oregon's trusting Bo Nix to make that throw? Do you think Jaden Daniels is being trusted to make that throw? Do you think Marvin Harrison Jr. is being trusted to make that catch in that moment? Yeah, moment? that I like, do think. Yeah, maybe. That maybe, I do think. Like, maybe. That's, yes, that's maybe. the only – and that's why, again, to roll back what I said before, not to get too far off topic or go back to the Heisman, is that you're giving him the benefit of the fact that he is the number one NFL – he probably will be the number one NFL prospect. Not the number one pick, but, like, he'll be – the bona fide number one prospect, Marvin. So you're giving him the benefit of that, despite his stats not being that good. So then why don't you give that to Michael Penix, that he, at least out of those three quarterbacks, he is the bona fide best NFL prospect, and he has good stats, maybe not as good as the other two guys, but when you look at the throws and the pressure moments, like he's asked to do things that no other player should, should or ever would be asked to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I even think too the Huskies in general, but with Penix, they all even in the tightest spots, you feel like they're still in control of the game, even when yeah. it seems like it's down to the wire and they may be out of it. Like you always trust that Penix is going to do something yeah. to get yeah. a win. Even, I think, even, bef- win. even before that, before the the run with Dylan Johnson, we, you had to get a first down before that too. They tried to screw us by make, giving it another chance and calling a penalty on the next play. But it's like third and four, third and five, whatever it was, you throw it out to Jalen. Yeah, and even Kirk Herbstreit and Fowler say that is like conventional. Yeah, it was like third and four, and they're like, and Kirk kind of called his shot on that as he's like conventional wisdom. You run the ball, you hope you get a first, but make them use make them use another timeout and you punt it. But this isn't your normal team. This is Michael Penix and the Huskies. Yeah, like game on the line. You put the ball in Michael Penix's hand. Now, third and 12, that's different, and I was full in favor of Dylan Johnson getting the ball, and I was also very confident that he's going to get the first down. He had to be here to believe it. <laughs> like, But we all said, it's like, he's going to get a fucking first down here. I don't care. Like, there's just We've dominated him too much on the front line, and Dylan Johnson will not be stopped, and then he went untouched. I already said that. But 
Game on the line is right before that. Third and four, game on the line. Yeah. Michael Penix has the ball in his hand. There's nobody, and Heisman isn't really voted this way, but there's that should be the criteria in some be. in some regards for Heisman is that game on the line, who do you want ball ball in your hand? It's not a defensive award, unfortunately defensive award, unfortunately. But it's like game on the line, who do you want the ball in their hands? And I don't I I would love to get somebody who thinks that Jane Daniels should be the guy with the ball in their hand. Yeah. I mean, maybe someone would say him running the ball because you could RPO it. But like outside of that, there's no one's still no one's no one. There's no other quarterback in the country that right now that a coach is saying we want we want you to make this throw right here. Third and four. Sometimes they do it. and More often than not, they choke like Bo Nix does. (laughs) You know, like a lot of times those guys choke and make a bad throw and tense up. So like somebody tenses up, passes a little errant. You know, so I, uh, Heisman, uh, Penix for Heisman. Let's go. Let's go. I'm, I'm right there with you. No, you said you were for Jane Daniels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fake no, fan. Tanner, Tanner tried to, fake fan. Tanner tried to put that in the, uh, hearts and minds of our faithful listeners, but no, Michael, <laughs> Pe- Michael, Michael Penix should be the Heisman. I know, I know his numbers aren't there compared to Jane Daniels. Or even Bo Nix in some regards, but he should be. Uh, I think if you, I think if you watched, if you watched college football this year, truly watched, you would know that he was the best player. I mean, we're already going down this, so might as well keep going. Uh, I'll never stop. But <laughs> can't stop, won't stop. Said this, talked to Nigel about this too. Is that it's just that, and this should be a criteria for it. Is that, in my opinion, they're like. Uh, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix are like on three, three spots on the spectrum. Jaden Daniels, you take him off of LSU, they're still a team that's not contending for anything. Maybe, maybe they're a seven or eight win team, but also Brian Kelly, that guy sucks. And we could talk about that for a long time if you wanted to, cause I can, but that guy sucks as a human. He's a really good football coach. His teams win eight or nine games. It doesn't matter who is there. Does not matter. So if you take him off LSU, they're probably just about as good of a team as they are right now. Bo Nix falls right in the middle of that spectrum. I think if you take him off, they're not one win away from Washington against Washington from getting to the college football playoff. They probably lost two games already in the season, but they're still probably a nine Nine or ten win team. They go ten and two instead of eleven and one or nine and three. You take Michael Penix off of this Husky team, they are not thirteen and zero. They are not the number two team in the country, and they're not even by. Ve- I know Vegas won't say this, but by my own by my own metrics, a team that I would think that is very much should be a favorite to win the national championship. They're not even. They're probably close, but they're not that close. They're probably an eight or nine win team. So who's the Heisman? Like or who's the who's the MVP? It should be the guy that elevates your team way above what everyone else does. So that would be my case for Penix being the Heisman. I don't know that those other guys move the needle that much. They're not playing for anything anyways. So what would they be playing for if, if they weren't on those teams? Probably about the same. 
Oregon would still be playing Liberty in the fucking Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> Good luck. King of the Rats. Exactly. King of the Rats. Let's take a break. Hey, everybody. This is Luke, your least favorite member of the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports podcast. Just wanted to give you a little editor's note. If you did not catch our live stream on Instagram on Monday where we did a listener Q&A, this last section isn't going to make the most sense in the world, but wanted to give our podcast listeners an opportunity to get a little idea of what we were doing on Monday. So got a couple little highlights in there for you, so I hope you enjoy. But if you haven't had a chance yet, go on the Bring Your Lunch Pail Instagram page and you can see the hour-long unhinged insta live stream of us recording with uh special guests evan hobbs teo one one name teo i'm not gonna say his last name and uh our buddy zal as we answer some questions and talk about kind of some things that are going on with uh both sports and our lives so if you haven't had a chance go check it out but i hope you enjoy our, our little uh short short version of of the live stream thanks all right, I guess we're live. Um, we hopefully someone tunes in on this. Uh, we are doing our last segment of the show. We just did a recording. We talked about Mariners trades. We talked about uh, Huskies, Heisman, Pac-12 championship, and so now we're gonna end our last segment. Hopefully, getting some listener questions. Oh, looks like some people were joining in. That's exciting. Can't really see it. the phone's kind of far away, but uh, oh, we had a lot more coming in. Look at us, dude. Big time show. Wow. We did it. Got that. There you go, listeners. Look at that. So our last segment, we're hoping to get some listener questions. We want to bring that segment back. We've been kind of lacking on that, and we knew that that was a fan favorite for a while. But we're going to go ahead and talk about how the Grinch finally discovered that he loves Christmas again uh, for your guys' entertainment to end this on. So, Nigel. Well. What brought you back into the holiday spirit? First off. Well, I was never uh, away from the holiday spirit. I was just outside of the zone of holiday spirit and outside of when it's allowed. So I, uh, we surpassed Thanksgiving. And so like a normal person, once we hit... Oh, dude, normal's... Norm- yeah, sorry, normal's that. canceled. Uh, once uh, Thanksgiving hit, that turkey was carved. It's time to get into Christmas spirit. It's now the, the uh, season of giving and uh, the season of Yuletide uh, carols and cheer. And so uh, I'm fully in now. It's Christmas movie time. Uh, got some decorating done. Went and picked out a tree this weekend. Did get a tree. Nice five foot noble fir. Because I, I don't fuck with those other furs, man. I'm no, I'm no Doug fir guy. All right? I'm a <laughs> noble. be with Doug fir, man? I'm a noble fir That's guy. That's a lunch pail tree. You're going <laughs> with more of a, a white collar <laughs> tree. It was like $20 cheaper for, <laughs> for the other yeah, one. And I not, would never touch one of those damn trees. Poppy said, money's no object. Yeah, right? exactly. There's there's no amount of money that can uh, get me to go buy a Doug fir, okay? Which is not <laughs> happening. Okay? We got to have the noble fir. They look better. They're cleaner. They got a little more space. The Doug furs are a little more bushy, and uh, I like a little space between my you branches. Like, you don't know, like a good bush? <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't get me wrong. In the right moment, I love a good bush, but I like a little space between my branches. really shows off the lights, uh, shows off the ornaments, get a nice little array there. So I think it's uh, important to step up and uh, pay the extra 20 bucks for the for the noble. I'm a noble man. 
Okay. Hey, quick shout out. We got Hobbs time, aka Captain Evan Hobbs, uh, giving a shout out to Poppy, saying "Hola, Poppy." Oh, what's up, Poppy? Poppy. Uh, what's up, Evan? Thanks for listening. Appreciate you. Evan, I know you're writing more, but like getting the phone so far away, I can't see it. But I appreciate the love. And Why don't you bring it closer? Well, then so we can read it. Okay. I thought you said you had good eyes and you'd yeah. be able to read I'm it. Great vision. Yeah, I do. We'll just we'll just get nice and close over here. Yeah, Tan, just slide on in. Look at that. Okay, I can kind of read that. Yeah. Uh, Evan said, "I like a good bush." He likes that. <laughs> nice. Um, good. good. Yeah, and so then on. So I missed out on this, like I missed out on most things in life, but it looks like, Luke, you got the lights up too, or were you in charge of that project? Uh, yeah, I did the shoddy job out on the carport of putting the exterior lights up, but I think for, they look fine. Yeah, it looks For good. all of you, uh, when you come to Friendsgiving or slash Friends Christmas at our place, uh, make sure to tell Luke and Tanner how terrible of a job they did with the exterior lights. And uh, that they can do better next year. Okay? I think they look good. What would you suggest that would be better? Um, more inflatables. We need a giant Santa Claus on the rooftop. You're the one. Poppy had a good week. Go buy us a Santa Claus. Luke and I be up on the rooftop. Kalia, Kalia was really pushing. They had a Santa riding like a prop plane. Yeah. The, I'm sure you saw. It's you like the Fred Polar Meyer. Express. Yeah. It you nearly it got purchased. Got, Wait. It's at, she, Fred, it's at Fred Meyer. You know. Her and we we walked by that like two weeks ago. I was like, "What do you think about that?" She's like, "No, I want the Whoville Arc," and she was still about the Whoville Arc, which is discontinued, so uh, we can't even get it. It's because she wanted Poppy to buy it. Yeah. That's what it she was. wanted. Money bags. Yeah. She wanted money bags to uh, money bags romaine. Money bags to buy it. She didn't want. It. Hey, it was forty percent off, so it's basically free. Uh, Evan is wondering, will you guys be featured on the ABC show about the competitive neighborhood Christmas lights? Uh, no, I don't think we Probably do. not this year. We're a no. few years out there. We're, we're putting in our work. Um, but this year, we're, it's probably not in the cards. I think you gotta you got to get more than the string of 1,000 lights <laughs> to qualify for that. That's all we got. Hey, we're working our way up. Uh, it looks like we have one viewer right now. So, that, you know, uh, we appreciate Evan on here. Uh, Shane did send in a couple questions if you guys want to get in on those. Yeah, yeah let's do it. All right, let me uh, get over there and get them pulled up. He actually texted these. So let's go over more. Hopefully that didn't take us out. Looks like we're still on. So I should have just wrote these down. So Shane's uh, one question or two questions he had. And Shane, we kind of talked about this on the podcast, so you'll have to hear it. So I'm sure you'll get the short version. But he was wondering how devastating has the Jared and Marco trade been to the foundation of the podcast? And will it affect your support of the Mariners this upcoming season? I'll let Nigel handle that because I was not devastated by either Marco um, or absolutely, oh. absolutely crushed. Um, I Marco's the heart and soul of this team. He's the bulldog. He's what uh, he's the engine that drives the team forward. And so to lose that type of guy, it's uh, it's a crushing blow. And I don't know how I don't see a path forward for the Mariners. Honestly, <laughs> I'd I'd probably just sell the team. And, I, I uh, think even if they sign Otani at this point, like there's not that, really much. There's no can, team. Yeah, why would he come here if Bulldog's not here? Yeah, there's not really there's not really much, uh, you know, to look forward to without the Bulldogs. So, I would say sell the team, just pack it in. It's over. Um, and then on top of that, you you got rid of my second favorite player, Jared Kelnick, um, the other guy who uh, who's you know just the positive influence that this team needed. And uh, really brought the brought the light and the fire 
Um, and you got rid of him too. So I, I just can't see what uh, what this team is doing moving forward. It seems like they're seems like they're a little lost. So we'll talk about you'll hear more about that on the uh, on the pod itself. Yeah, but we had a pretty good segment on the Mariners. But it's definitely a crushing blow, and uh, it's just it seems like it's going to be tough to tough to see a path for the Mariners. Yeah, Evans actually wondered, do you think Kelnick will break his other foot on another water cooler <laughs> with the Braves? Do you uh, think that's a season goal for him? I think that uh, Kelnick's going to be going to be uh, breaking heads on home run balls, hitting forty five dingers next year and getting the MVP. So. Um, Hopefully not crushing his foot. He'll just be uh, maybe crushing the base paths uh, with doubles and and uh, crushing dingers. That's all I see for him. What has he shown so far that says that he's going to hit 45 dingers? Uh, 10 dingers in one month of April. Hmm. Oh, I already know the answer to this. Shane's wondering with the Huskies heading to the Sugar Bowl instead of the Rose Bowl. Are you happy, disappointed, or neutral on the change uh, venue or, or bowl game location? Again, Shane, that's going to be another one on the podcast that we really dove into, but I'm sure the guys can give you a quick and dirty on that. Yeah, I think the short answer, I'd probably say neutral, because uh, obviously, as we discussed before, we booked our flights to L.A. before Huskies even played against Oregon, because we were very confident that they were going to win and hopeful that they would go to the Rose Bowl, but I'm not going to complain about a college football playoff game. And what up, Zal? Yeah, what's up, Zal? I'm not going to complain about New Orleans uh, either because that's also a good time, and I'm not going to complain about the opportunity to play Texas again in, in a bowl game. Cause, Let's uh, go, horns down, baby! Because we already did it once. Suck it, long And horns. also, nobody Woo. nobody knows what Sark's about better than some Husky fans. <laughs> so, like, bring them on, yeah. but. I I, I'm bummed because I wanted to go to the Rose Bowl, but uh, neutral, I guess, that now it's the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, I cannot wait to be on Bourbon Street. Saul wants to be in the video, too. And just have, <laughs> throw them on. And just have all of these. Yeah. I just can't wait to have all of these sad, sorry Texas supporters that uh, that just get upset by my, my horns down. Um, so that's going to be thrilling. I definitely would have loved to go to the – Go to the Rose Bowl. It would have been, would have been a blast. I think it would have been a, a fitting end to, uh, to, to the Pac-12. You know, <laughs> what's up, Zal? Um, I think it would have been a fitting end to the Pac-12s to have one more, one more ride in the Rose Bowl, and, uh, and ha- ha- be against Michigan, and that would have been really cool. But at the end of the and LA is a cool town too. Would have been fun. But at the end of the day. Um, New Orleans is a is a fun ass town. I've been waiting to go back there since the Huskies played in 2012 when we went. Uh, so add New Year's uh, on Bourbon Street. Also added Nigel going down Bourbon Street, going horns down, getting in fights with different fans, getting yeah. stomped by a Clydesdale. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, we're we're planning on doing a live down from uh, from Bourbon Street or some where we're, wherever we're staying. We're gonna try to get a live going there too of. Uh, of us harassing some Texas fans and having a good time. So um, it's going to be a blast, man. And Huskies are in the college football playoff. What could be better? Zal, are you still on with us, or did you? where did you go off to? Come back. Come back, Zal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's going to be a great time. I mean, 
not to get too much in details with the whole situation, but Kalia was not happy about that situation. Yeah, she threw was a, a sour, fit. Yes, Kalia was a sour. sour Kalia thought it was her vacation, and Kalia was honestly just thinking about Disneyland and LA in general. Yeah, and she she can still go. <laughs> no one's. You don't want number one Husky fan Kalia not to go. No one's stopping her from going to Disneyland, so I don't. I don't know what the issue is. Your girl Abby was wondering, uh, F, Mary kill, Travis Kelsey, Jason Kelsey, and Taylor Swift. <laughs> We're answering all questions right now. Everything's on the table. Uh, that's, that's actually some heat. <laughs> uh, fuck, Mary kill. I'd probably... I'd probably kill uh, Travis Kelsey... I'd probably marry Jason Kelsey. And so I guess I'd fuck Taylor Swift. Yeah, I'm in. That I, sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah Jason I, Kelsey's cool. I think I'd yeah. marry I think I'd marry uh uh Taylor mostly because I ain't Gay. signing no prenup. And so I'm trying to I'm trying to just like live that stay at home dad life the rest. Oh, and rest Jason can't marriage. provide that. Yeah, well, not like or generational <laughs> billionaire type wealth. And then I'm gonna I'll fuck Jason Kelsey because he's a he's a handsome man. Yeah. Jason fucks oh, you. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'll let Jason fuck me, and then uh, <laughs> and then I'll kill Travis Kelsey because why not? Uh, Abby responded by saying, what the hell, Luke? So she doesn't seem to be pleased <laughs> oh, well, with your yeah. answer. So I had to kill... Well, she likes Taylor Swift, though. If I killed Taylor Swift, that seems also rude. All right, I think that was our fun with the whole thing. Do you guys... You got anything else to add? This well, is the last call for anyone that wants to jump in or any, ask Any last questions? Any questions, get them in now. Last call. Any more questions? Going once. Going twice. All right. All right. All right. We're signing off. Thank you. Thank you for everyone that joined in and uh, fun little segment. And uh, hopefully it's not too chaotic on the actual recording. Um, we'll see. It was a good time. Oh. Oh, Evan says thanks for the good time. Yeah, thank you, Evan. Thank you, Evan. Thanks, listening. Evan. All right. Signing Later, off. Later, guys. Thanks. See ya. See ya. See ya.